Good morning, lads and lasses. This episode today is brought to you by A.M. Sounder, author of the Charlotte Holmes series, now available on Amazon Kindle. Hello, and welcome to Book Chats with Shannon, the podcast where we discuss new or upcoming books, interview authors from the Twitter writing community, and give you the chance to get to know these titles and the writers behind them just a little better. So take a deep breath, find a comfortable seat, pour yourself a cup of tea, listener, because here is your host, Shannon. Welcome back to Book Chats with Shannon, and we are here today with Asif and his wonderful novel, A Passover in Peshawar. Asif, welcome back. Good to have you. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you very much for having me back, and it's great always talking to you. Oh, well, thank you. You're one of my favorite authors on here so far, so well done. We're here today with the sequel to your first novel, A Christmas in Calcutta. Can you catch us up? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So... A Christmas in Cattle was actually written as a standalone book. I had no intentions of making it into a series, but as I was sort of finishing, completing it, and the characters, if you like, find their breath and their width. If, as you write them, you understand what they will and won't do. It became very obvious that there was a lot of stories here with these characters that could go on. So I, at that point, it just as finishing Christmas in Calcutta, I was about to start another book, actually, on some... On, on a theme of honor killing. So I did that one, then I came back and I said, right. And what I actually did was I actually plotted out three or four books. I said, well, this would happen in the second one, this would happen in the third one, this would happen in the fourth one. So in that framework, I said, okay, this is it. Peshawar is what I'm going to do with it. And so I approached that book and said, so I knew immediately that Peshawar was part of a trilogy or a quartet, whatever, how it worked out. So therefore I could do more things with Peshawar. And as you know, it finishes on a cliffhanger. So we won't say what well, a cliffhanger, but, you know, it's a cliffhanger which needs, leads nicely into the third book. So that's why it's slightly different from uh, Calcutta because it is designed, if you like, to be part of an ongoing series, whereas if Christmas was very much a standalone and you can actually read it as a standalone and you know it works as a standalone book. There isn't anything sort of, you know, going on. But as Passover came into being and I plots started to come together and I played around with the characters. It was very obvious that where this was going was part of the series, these other books would come out of it. So touch wood, it worked out really well. I mean, it, as the right, it was quite a long book to write. I mean, it is quite a long book, I think, appreciate it. And it took a while to write uh, because <laughs> I caught myself out, actually. Yeah. When you sort of describe scenes, oh, then they go and find X, Y, Z, or they go and do this. Well, it's one line in my notes, right? But when it comes to write, it turns into a chapter, two chapters. So that slows you down. So you have to actually put the prose work in there. You can't just say magically turn people X, Y, Z and resolve your plot. So that, that was good. And also it was good fun to um, use another narrator because in the first one, I think you'll appreciate there's only Dr. Button or uh, Dr. Watson writing. And in the second one, I chose to include Charlotte. So, so Charlotte had a voice in there as well. And I think the difference was between those two, when you came to write, you have to write in a certain way that the minute you see a line, you say, oh, that's Vatan speaking. Oh, that's Charlotte speaking. So that distinction in voice and character and intense as well. If you recall, Charlotte writes in the first tense. She does, the, you know, she's doing this, she's, whereas Vatan writes in the past tense. So immediately you differentiate the two narrators. 
And it was something I wanted to challenge myself, handle two narrators. And also, if you look at the book, right, she just, I don't have her describing things that Vuthan is describing. I have her describing plot and characters when Vuthan isn't there. So she wasn't doing it. There would be no other way of actually the reader knowing what was happening unless she wrote a letter or some of the method was concocted to give that. So that's why I gave the second narrator a logical reason to be there. She's describing events at her family home, whatever, and, you know, youth in that story. And so it was quite important to have her as a unique voice. And the other thing I sort of approached her work, the voice I had for her in my mind was like a Virginia, sorry, Virginia Woolf, that uh, stream of consciousness writing. So if you notice, there is, I believe, yes, when she comes back to Redoubt, the family home where she ran away from during her postnatal depression period, and that she walks into her old bedroom and it's all described in sort of one long paragraph and she feels emotions and she slips into when she was there with her husband and all that so it, the uh, stream of consciousness was a very effective way of doing that is sort of tapping into what she was feeling and evoking those emotions so I, I quite like that but I haven't used her as a narrator again I like the mystery about her to be honest with you I like her to be observed because you, you never knew what Sherlock Holmes was say, thinking. You obviously knew what he's doing and saying. So therefore, to have a view of her from within makes it slightly more mysterious. You know, when she pulls out a rabbit from the hat, da da da, he did it. And Button goes, "Oh my God, how did you know this?" <laughs> so that is, I want to surprise the readers as much as Button was surprised. So that's why I, I sort of got away from using her as a narrator. But in this book, I thought it was quite effective. It really was. It, you're used to the hows, the whys, and how you got there with Sherlock Holmes. But with Charlotte, you get to see a snapshot into her soul with those diary entries. It's not how she got there, it's how exactly she was feeling. And in Victorian literature, that's not something that's discussed. And it was a very brave avenue to go and explore. Okay, these are my human emotions, and this is how we feel, and this is how we're processing. Absolutely, spot on. Part of the thing with Sherlock Holmes is he's a bit cold. He's almost an avatar for someone who's very intelligent and aloof. And you occasionally see him interacting. So he interacts with Brother Moriarty, which has a sibling rivalry. And he also interacts with one of the female uh, sort of protagonists, kind of the, the woman he falls in love with. So they are the two sides where he shows his emotions. But with Charlotte, because she's uh, obviously female, the gender switch gives you a great set of tools to play with. So for a start, you can marry her off, yeah? So suddenly her power position within that couple is different to being a man. It's a woman, you know, and in that society, in that time, she would be subservient to the husband. So you have that. Secondly, you have her giving birth and losing the child, which happens in the first book. So there, yeah, miscarriage. And that's an experience that Sherlock Holmes would never, never experience, yeah? So we suddenly have something unique about Charlotte and how that intelligence which she has and that perception and that wit is if you like, not compromised but impacted by the loss of a child. So if you think of someone who's super intelligent and nothing is a problem to them, they can solve everything, they can see through things, their perception, but this one thing of actually you know, delivering a pregnancy and a healthy child escapes her and that undermines that confidence and that is a useful tool because it happens in our society as well where the woman, it happens in Asian society, less so than England, but where if you, the child isn't a son, 
you know, a boy is, oh, she failed, you know. Even if you have a healthy child, daughter, this, oh, no, no, it should have been a boy. But see, this kind of patriarchy was still present then. You know, boys were revered and girls were sort of almost invisible in that sense. So that's why I wanted to sort of play around with that and undermine her um, self-belief in her own abilities. It was it's about that, you know, she thinks I failed as a woman. But she hasn't, obviously, because, you know, it was out of control. But those are the kind of emotions I want to evoke in her. And those kind of emotions are, what's the word? They are contradictory to how an intelligent person would sort of work through them, you know what I'm saying? So this is raw emotion. You've got this nothing about, you know, intelligence or wit. It's just more emotion of failure, of despair, of depression, you know, of loss and grief. So all of those emotions is really what I wanted to explore with, the, with her. And I didn't think... Sherlock Holmes had ever done that level of grief and self-awareness that Charlotte has because, you know, Charlotte went through something that Sherlock would never do. And she grew from it. She did come out the other side of it, and I think she was better for having a friend there that understood that. I like Dr. Watan because he didn't shy away from any of the more raw aspects and, you know, helped her through it. Absolutely. The dynamics between them, I think it's still different from Watson and Sherlock. I mean, I hate to sort of keep going back, to, but you know, that is the, if you like, the template, and then I've diverged from it. But for Button, he sees Charlotte as his patient, and he, and he says, So you're my patient. You know, he says, Reminds her later on, You're my patient. You know, you've been running around. How are you feeling? That exchange in Shimla they have. And it's about their relationship. And it is very much a patient relationship. And then when he gets married, and sorry, uh, we should sort of cover the point in the book, but then arranges to have, uh, gets an arranged, not arranged marriage, um, a marriage through a newspaper advert. So he marries someone who's older, and Charlotte objects to it. And that objection it is all covered back in uh, Shimla against so, you know, why are you objecting? He said, well, I've got no reason to object to you. We're not engaged. I don't have anything, any hold over you. You know, we're just acquaintances. But she could see that there's something not quite right with her, that the reason he was marrying uh, Shakuntala, or the saffron widow, as we said, was not the right reason. He was bouncing, if you like, you know, in search of some kind of solace from his grief of Bahunsi in the previous book. So, you know, you, to get married is good, but you're marrying for the wrong reason, and you and, and you're marrying the wrong person as well. <laughs> well, we call that in the States a rebound relationship. And it, I, oh man, I was reading that. I was like, no, no, don't do it. Don't do it. And he does it in like three paragraphs. We go from, hey, I'm meeting this woman on paper to, hey, we're married. And Charlotte, along with the rest of us, is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What happened? Stop. <laughs> so that's what, it's funny she said, but... One of my review, early reviews, I read the book, and that scene when Sir Branwell finds out he's married and he, you know, sort of gives him a rough time, you know, quite abusive with her, him. And then Charlotte comes and she falls out with him as well over his marriage. And then, you know, they have a meal, the three together, and they, you know, tear strips off each other. But <laughs> that kind of, what I want to show was right. Each of the characters in that, that trio of Branwell, what in Charlotte were taking decisions the others fight others didn't like, yeah? Because as much as they, Charlotte didn't like Button getting married to Shkuntla, later on he Button finds out about her affair with Maldehyde, yeah, the senior guy. So they, he objects to that as well. So it's like and they the cover, you know, you're objecting to me, what what about you sort of thing? So I wanted to create tension 
not artificial tension between the group, but between the choices, yeah? So for Button, that was a real choice. You know, he, he, want, he was lonely, he was miserable, and he thought that was the answer, companionship. And for Charlotte, it's slightly different, right? You know, her husband is absconded, he's a wanted prisoner, a wanted person, and the only person who can sort of get her out of that, because at that point, to be, you know, accused of treason, it was a really serious offence. They would seize your states, they would seize your funds, and they would even charge, you know, family, whatever. So he, there's a, you know, there's a strong arm say that she used maldehyde to protect herself from the consequences of Charles, you know, uh, <laughs> insurrection. The fallout from book one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, you know, there are consequences to what was going on. And the interesting part for me was reading about the different levels of consequences. Choices were made, but it's not just on a personal scale. Some of this reverberates as far as nationally goes because you are in the time period dealing with the British Empire. Absolutely, yes, spot on. I like to travel and journey in the book because, in my books, because it drives narrative. Not only does it drive narrative, but there's that emotion in the book. You're describing things passing. You know, the passengers are trapped on a train. Not trapped, but they're all confined on a train, and they're moving towards a destination. So if you like, there's a physical movement in the plot, as well as a developing narrative. So I, I, it's a bit of a <laughs> tool which I use, maybe use overly use, but I find it quite um, illustrative as both a metaphor for the journey, but also a metaphor for um, the physical arrival at the, uh, you know, the destination. My... One character, I have to say, you probably didn't write him as such a stand-out character, but for the listeners who don't know, can you explain the letter-writer dynamic between Watan and his parents? There was a side character there that his commentary on the letter will get you laughing in the very beginning when you meet him and just keep on through the book. <laughs> Thank you. So when Button decides to marry Shakuntala, he writes to his father, and in those days... Uh, his parents are literate farmers. That's another thing which, if you notice in the book, and it's as the series progresses, it's uh, picked on again. They call it just an overdressed farmer. You see? <laughs> and so uh, his parents are illiterate. You know, they're from the uh, old villages and they come here and they can't read. It's simple as that. Yet they've managed to educate the child and get him to be a doctor. So they have to take the letter to someone in the bazaar who would read the letter for them. They would actually say, oh, this is your son. You say, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, thank you very much. Then they would pay him for that, then also pay him to write the response. Now, because they were di di dictating, he was writing, the author, my character, Khatib, which actually means a writer, Khatib, for Arabic, he was adding his own commentary in, right? <laughs> so whenever the parents denigrated the um, choice of the wife, he Cathal would make a comment, right? <laughs> which is say, no, I don't understand what's going on here. So that should give you a... He came alive in those comments. You could see what his viewpoint was, right, and how he was doing it. Uh, <laughs> because the, the parents were very rude about Shikuntla, you know. We are you know, disgraced at your choice. She's a barren field. We'll grow nothing kind of thing. You know, obviously, the farmers, you have to have <laughs> uh, yes. agricultural metaphors. <laughs> Well, it was a snapshot in time, too. It's a world that doesn't really exist anymore within the time period that you said it. So it's a lovely, I almost want to say, commentary on how things were handled and how people behaved for the time period. Yeah, absolutely. It was very much a, 
division of society. You had the English very much at the top, and in, with, even within that, the colonial British Raj, you would have the military at the very top, yeah? And then the other civil servants, the wives or whatever would go down, and then you would start with the natives coming down. And at the lowest end would be uh, Button's family, you know, just poor natives, uneducated. So that very much stratified society was the way it was. And it was very difficult to move between those layers. And Button is someone who traverses those layers and it becomes quite interesting observer both about the English, but he has a blind spot about himself. And I think Charlotte picks up on that. And I think she pokes him with him a little bit occasionally later on in the series, you know, because you pick up on a point, for example, but then uh, doesn't like Muslims. Yeah, he's, he's a Hindu and the, um, he's challenged in Peshawarash. You know, you don't like Hindus, Muslims, do you? And he sort of comes out why he doesn't like whatever reason is. But I just want to show a flaw in the character, right, of Nate Watton, that he's not perfect. You know, he shouldn't be used as a guide for being perfection. The same way Charlotte should be used as a guide for perfection. She takes the British Raj privileges, yeah, uh, wealth in her stride. And the subjugation of the British Indians, she may say, oh, that's awful, that's bad. But does she practically do anything about it? Does she renounce it? Does she reject it? No. So both characters have flaws in them, which I think makes them more humane, you know, makes them more interesting. It's, you know, it's silly writing, not silly, but it's a bit boring reading and writing. A character is perfect. It's just, there's no drama there. It's boring, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's why you know, they are flawed and they make flawed decisions and then they have to resolve them. But hopefully in an entertaining manner. Well, I found it incredibly entertaining, but for those listeners who might be curious on coming along with the journey with Charlotte and our crew, where can they pick up a copy of the sequel? Uh, it's available on Amazon uh, as Kindles. If you have Amazon Prime, you can download it for free. And also it's available on lulu.com, lulu.com. And that gives you a paperback version. You can get on there and look for my uh, uh, title am Sardar and that lists all the books i've published so far you can get a paperback copy from there excellent and i'll include links to the amazon on the episode as i do with all of my authors and um if they'd like to get in touch with you is there a particular spot our listeners can do that absolutely i'm on twitter i'm happy to sort of interact with my <laughs> readers there's actually a chap who has been going through all my series and he Every time he starts one of the books, he'll go on Twitter and sort of tweet to me, go, oh, I see if you just book. Oh, wow, this is X, Y, Z. What's happening here? So, Instant commentary. That's fun. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. So, yeah. And the other thing I can, I don't know if you know, but on Amazon you can have a report console. You can look at what books you are. There are, and you can also see how many pages are read. So I can actually tell on a book so many pages that this person is on that point in the story. Because so, <laughs> I know my books, right? I know what point, you know, things happen. So it's quite interesting. So, oh, and it's amazing how when they read one or two, they end up reading all of them because they, they just love the characters and they just say, I want to know what happens with them. And that's a great sort of compliment, but I think it's a great sort of tribute to them as well that they are interested and care about these characters in this sort of time slot and what they're going through. And how, even though it's in the past, they, it still feels relevant to today. That's very true. And it's a compliment to your skills as a writer as well. Thank you.
You are welcome. Well, it was wonderful to have you. Could you give us a little bit of a preview for book three while we're here without giving any spoilers? So, yes, absolutely. So book two ends on a cliffhanger, as uh, <laughs> you know, Shannon. And it's a doozy. <laughs> it's a doozy, absolutely, it's a doozy. So the uh, cliffhanger is resolved in book three. So in book three, we have, uh, it's called A Birth to Bombay, yeah? So it's a pun on the title birth, yeah? So birth as in a ship and birth as in giving birth to a baby. So that's where the pun comes in, Birth to Bombay. <laughs> and it's really is about two things in there. One, it's a new narrator. So for the first time, Ooh. this book uses Branwell as a narrator. <laughs> so... I love the character, but I cannot understand whether I want to have tea with him or get him into counseling. I'm not sure which. <laughs> He's a lovable rogue, for sure. So this actually is a very good point. Bramwell was created, in, I don't know if you know, but I also went through university, did my doctorate and other stuff. And I used to, I know a lot of very, very intelligent English people, yeah? Like academia professors and all this. And so one of the things was, right, when people write about colonists and this kind of thing, they make them stupid. And the word stupid, you got to understand stupidity is different to ignorance. Or, you know, they were arrogant about the culture. You know, they were sharp. They were, you know, intelligent people. They knew, you know, a lot of things. But they felt superior. Yeah, they felt above the natives. And therefore, they were ignorant of the natives or the practices. And they just didn't care. They were blunt about it. They, you know, he's a shoes from the lip, as they say here. <laughs> and so he is very much a... His journey through the series is very much a journey of the uh, naive person, yeah? So as he goes through, his views about the Indians and the natives changes, change quite considerably, and that's because of the adventures he goes through. So, and as you see in the third book, what happens is, right, is the plot point is that Maldehyde, Charlotte's lover, <laughs> sets Bramwell the task of capturing Charlotte's husband, Charles. Oh, wow, okay. So there is then a book-long chase between Branwell hunting down Charles. Also, there is another character introduced. You'd love this character. And this is it's a female bandit called Durga. And she is captured by uh, Branwell, found to be innocent, or there's a little this twist in there anyway. But the end shot is that he takes on as his guide. So, yeah. So he should, oh, heavens, he's, now he's got a travel buddy. <laughs> exactly. And also, things start to happen between them. So, and they go all over India looking for Charles. So there's that storyline going on as well. And the other storyline deals with Charlotte's condition. Yeah. So we know Charlotte. And that is written by Vatan. So Vatan ends up uh, taking Charlotte, wants to go back to Redoubt, her family home. And Vatan goes with her. And that's where all the sort of storyline develops around there. So they're the two things. And then those two stories meet at the end. Oh, okay. Well, we will definitely cover that in a future episode. I don't want to give too many spoilers away, but personally, I cannot wait to read that one. You'll enjoy it because Branwell, again, he writes in third person in a different style to Vathan and Charlotte. Yeah, so he's the narrator. He's the main narrator. In the, so one of the main narrators. There's only two narrators in the second, third book. And he, going forward in the series, becomes a permanent second narrator. So in all the other books, Branwell is always writing about the events. And you can see how, as you read the series, that I use him in a different way. One, he can go into areas like so Charlotte's family. In later books, I deal with Charlotte's family, her father, 
her mother, her sister. All of these relationships are explored in uh, the fifth book, The Wedding in Winchester. And again, Bethany isn't even there at that point. So Branwell is the only, if you like, narrator of this eyewitness to what's happening with the family. So it's very so some plots could only work with Branwell being the second narrator. All right. Well, I will keep you guys posted when that one is up and when we cover it on the channel. Asif, thank you so much for being with us here today. It was a real pleasure to have you. Thank you, Shannon. Always a pleasure talking to you. And I hope you enjoy reading the third book. Um, you thank will you. you'll enjoy it. It's probably got some cracking, cracking uh, gags in there. I think one of my favourite gags was in um, Sharma when Charlotte comes off the train and the boy's holding their little slate and he's trying to spell Charlotte's name, but he spelt it S-H-A-R-L-O-T. Oh, and no! Char <laughs> and Charlotte comes off the train and goes, hmm, good for me, he remembered the S. <laughs> well done. Well, we hope to have you back soon to discuss book three in the series. Thank you so much. Thank you, Shannon. You have a great, great time and take care. Bye now. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to Book Chats with Shannon. Want to know more about your host? Follow Shannon on Twitter at bchatswshannon, where you can get a sneak peek on our next featured author or the title. Oh, and yes, before you go, please subscribe to the channel to make sure you never miss an episode. If you enjoyed this content and would like to help support this channel or reserve one of my monthly sponsored slots, you can find me on Ko-Fi at BookChatsWShannon. Till the next time, have a wonderful day and stay safe out there.